Welcome to the Stewardship Project. I'm Andrew Mitchell. I'm Sean Salitro. If you've ever been challenged with the idea that stewardship goes beyond finances and time, then you're in the right place. And we will be your guides. host of the Stewardship Project is to facilitate conversations on topics that have many unique perspectives, and the topic of church and community is no different. For this season's episode, we are excited to speak with Chris Haven. Chris is a dedicated disciple maker, passionate about equipping and empowering those in the church to live out their faith in a way that transforms their gatherings into communities that are sustained by relationships. Through part of his work, Chris developed disciplemaking.church, which provides practical tools, resources, and trainings to church leaders, helping them to build a culture of intentional discipleship and relationships. Our hope is that this conversation causes you to ask questions and explore this viewpoint of the church further. All right. We're happy to have Chris Haven join us on this week's episode. Chris has a little bit of a unique background and a little bit of a unique perspective on the church and what that looks like. And so, Chris, I'd love to just get an, an intro uh, from you as far as you know where you're at, what you do, those types of things, and then talk a little bit about your church experience and kind of how you've landed where you're at right now. Yeah, absolutely. Great to be with you, Andrew and Sean. Um, happy to be on with you today. Uh, so, yeah, just a little bit of background. Um, I'm actually professionally um, an attorney. Uh, so I work full time uh, as an in-house attorney, and um, but I've also had some theological training along the way. Did my undergraduate in that, and did some seminary training later. So I really have had my feet in uh, both the marketplace business world and also church world for most of my adult life, probably the last twenty-five years or so. Um, there's you know some terminology now kind of floating around about being co-vocational, and I guess that's probably the best way maybe to think about um, how I've how I view my life right now. Um, my my faith story really, if you want to kind of go back a little bit to that, uh, early in life I came to Christ. Uh, I don't really remember a time when I didn't view myself as being a follower of Jesus. Um, I had. A great family, a loving parents who raised me in the faith and uh, modeled for me what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, and so I'm very grateful for that. And much of what they instilled in me uh, early on is I, I really I'm still uh, it's still with me today, and has made me who I am in many many respects. Um, really, from from college onward, uh, I would say that I was really involved, kind of in this co-vocational lifestyle. Uh, working full-time, uh, but at the same time being very heavily involved in sort of the, the normal uh, church activities. Uh, I was uh, heavily involved in teaching, primarily adults. Uh, I, I did some preaching now and again. Uh, I served on church boards and committees, uh, and I actually did a couple of stints with some church planting, which is probably a whole nother episode on some of that stuff. But um, <laughs> So, and then, then one other facet of it that's really kind of picked up some steam recently is workplace ministry. So just getting involved with a number of uh, different uh, folks that are uh, doing workplace ministry around the country and really around the world uh, to see uh, sort of um, 
kingdom cells planted in the workplace, you know, companies like Amazon and Google and Intel and GE and things of that nature. So that's been really exciting to be a part of that, that kind of thing. Um, I would say probably maybe five years ago, I came to a place where, you know, I was, I had been involved in church in all these ways that I've already described. And um, it might be too strong of a word to say that I came to kind of a crisis point. Um, but that's, that's a little bit of maybe a way to, to think about it. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't like a, a crisis in terms of my relationship with Jesus, uh, or any of the foundational, you know, biblical teachings or anything like that. It was, it was more of a crisis for, for me for like, you know, what am I actually doing here? Like, what am I, what am I doing with church? What am I doing with discipleship? What, what is this all about? And am I just really yeah. kind of wasting my, my life going through some motions and I'm not really seeing a whole lot of return on the investment? Um, a few areas that just sort of really um, started to gnaw at me was, was one was, you know, I had always been somebody who was very much into knowledge acquisition. I, I wanted to learn the Bible. I love the Bible. A lot of people love the Bible and I love the Bible. And it's a great thing to love the Bible, but it came to the point where I felt like, knowledge acquisition was kind of what it was about, you know, whether it was consuming sermons or, you know, teaching a Sunday school class with people where I'd prepare, you know, all week long and deliver this content to them and, you know, get great feedback and, you know, people loved it. Uh, or, you know, just, you know, other ways in which that was happening. But I didn't really feel like there was an emphasis, an equal emphasis on the, the fruit that is to come from that you know, the fruit bearing. Hmm. Uh, and there's a couple different ways that fruit can be born in people's lives. Uh, I think, you know, the fruit of the spirit, character change, uh, but also didn't feel like what I was doing was actually having an impact in anybody else other than the few people that were directly involved in the ministries that I was a part of outside of that. And then see people taking that and really moving it out to other people that could benefit from that kind of thing. And so, um, and I guess the last thing that, that really got to me was this the sense that um, the thing that I was involved in uh, was sort of an institutional expression. And what I began to see was that um, what was the, the primary priority of the institution, of any institution really, not just a church, but it could be any organization, um, is preservation and advancement. And so that became the, the chief goal and everything else was, was nice, was nice to have. And we want other things, but that was the main thing. And, um, and so I got a little bit uh, jaded with that. So, so fast forward this, this relatively long story, um, uh, three years now. Um, and we've, my wife and I have really kind of backed away from that institutional expression of church and began to try to simplify our lives to get back to, you know, kind of what are the what are the basics of what Jesus is calling us to? I think about like the, the 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 Vince Lombardi, the famous Vince Lombardi, you know, quote of him holding up the football and saying, "Gentlemen, this is a football." To you know, the, the beginning of a season after they had just had a losing you know event the last season, and it's like, what are we really about? What are we really supposed to be doing? Mm. And for us, it has been um, going back to the core, really core pillars of what I think Jesus was teaching. Um, the the three things is to love God to love others, to love others in your faith community, uh, and then also to love the lost world around us. And what we've been trying to do, and obviously there's you know nuances to that that need to be worked through, but we've kind of, kind of backed into that as, hey, that is really what Jesus wants us to be about. That's what he wants us, our, our lives to be about. And so we've been tr really trying to live into that for the last you know three years or so. 
So you talk about like kind of coming to that point in your life and really being convicted about the things that, that Jesus spoke about, the things that we're supposed to be focusing on or doing. So based on your understanding of Scripture and the things that Jesus said and, and your own experiences um, with church and institutional churches up until this point in your life, um, how would you say that, that Scripture and those experiences have helped you shape and define what community is or what it is to do life together with other believers? Yeah, so if we kind of look at what is the popular kind of understanding of what church is today, it might might help to kind of set the, the contrast. In my own mind, this is sort of the, the exercise that, that I've gone through. And I think for most people living in, you know, America, in a Western context, when they hear about church, more or less, this is kind of what maybe they have in mind. It's a, you know, it's a nonprofit organization, an ecclesiastical corporation, you know, that's funded by its members. Um, it usually owns a building or buildings or has some facilities. It employs a staff, and that staff creates programs. Um, and the chief program that the staff creates is a Sunday morning worship experience. And much of the, the time, the energy, the money that, that comes in um, gets directed towards that. And uh, the, the, the members that are part of that organization then are encouraged to participate in those programs and to then volunteer in those programs to make sure that they run. So that's kind of uh, maybe a high level, you know, just understanding of what church might be from a dominant paradigm, kind of the institutional perspective. The way I like to, to look at it, maybe that's a little bit different now from my vantage point, is to think more about church as a as an extended spiritual family. Um, and um, it's, it's not so much that we're trying to, as I was talking about before, uh, to see an institution survive, but we want to see a family thrive. You know, that's, that's sort of maybe the, a better way to think about it. And so um, for us, uh, church is really a, a relational network. Uh, if you go back to the New Testament, um, there's a lot of uh, places in the New Testament where you see the oikos or the, the household or the family um, as the basic model for what church is. Um, and so that, that idea is not just the, the nuclear family, not just the, the parents and the children, but it's the extended family, it's the, the friends, the, the close friends, the, the business associates, the, um, the people that are around, around a particular uh, group of people that, that believe in Jesus, and they become that, that Christian um, community uh, within which you see uh, things happening. Um, and it's, and it's living in close community in a way that feels more like family than uh, being a part of, you know, the Kiwanis Club or something else. You know, not, not just that you have a membership part <laughs> there, but you actually feel like there's family. And you start to do things that families do for one another, you know. And so over the last few weeks, I had a couple opportunities for a, a couple of, of guys that are in our, our larger um, spiritual community. Uh, to to come alongside them when there were there were some times of distress and I, and it was just commenting to my wife the other day like I don't remember the last time in, in a two week period where I got phone calls in the middle of the night from somebody in distress and you know had to you know try to reach out to help them and she's like well yeah that's what what yeah. families do for people you know and um, so my yeah. experience you know prior to this has been you know I don't. You know, you, you might you might call a pastor that's on call or something like that to do that, but it's it's actually it's actually a, a function of family um, that that's really a central function there, and so that's kind of that's kind of the that's kind of the life that we're living into. And what I would say, one other thing I would say about that is um, the we think about church. I think a lot of times primarily in terms of gatherings, like what is your gathering like, or where do you gather, mm -hmm. what building do you gather in, who's your pastor, that kind of thing. But I think actually 
the gathering is the secondary thing and the less important thing. What's most important is that you have those family relationships, that you have the bonded relationships that, that rise to the level of family. And then the gatherings naturally will come out of that. And I, and I think about it in terms of my wife, like I wanna go on a date night with her and go somewhere with her because I have a relationship with her um, versus <laughs> scheduling an event and then trying to browbeat both of us to get to this event. I mean, it doesn't make any sense when you think about it and you're with, your, <laughs> with your spouse, right? That just doesn't work. But a lot of times they, yeah, yeah, Depends exactly. on the event, I guess. Go to, yeah. yeah, I got some stories about going to the Nutcracker and such that I probably wouldn't want to go to. But, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, but you, but you think about it backwards. I think a lot of times is as we got to create an event and then try to get people to come to the mm -hmm. event versus what I think I see Jesus doing, what I see happening in the New Testament, the rest of the New Testament outside of the Gospels, is creating the relationship and then the 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 meetings, the events, the gatherings will naturally. Uh, take place out of those relationships. So, so, yeah, I guess just to put it another way and to kind of make sure that I'm understanding you correctly is the the gatherings are more needs-based instead of being kind of the central thing. Is that what you're, yeah, kind of what you're saying? Yeah, needs-based uh, in one sense, um, but needs, uh, I guess, necessity in the sense that you can't stand not being with them. Um, you need to be mm, with them, just yep. like you would need if you hadn't seen your wife. My wife just came back from from spring break, and I, I missed her because I hadn't seen her in a week. You know, and it's that longing to be <laughs> with her again um, that should be the same longing we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, it's no accident that Jesus chooses the family uh, language to describe the relationships that we have with with our um, other believers because we're supposed to have that longing, like we want to be with them, we can't wait to be with them again. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that is another way in which, you know, there's a necessity to get back together. Yeah, that's great. I, I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit more about, you know, this, this idea of family, you know, you've, you've, you've shared that as kind of like the core, the relational network as, as kind of the core of this entire thing. Do you think that that has to be experienced outside of the institutional church? Or do you think there are people that are experiencing that there? And that's almost just like their connection point that already exists. Yes. I think it's, I think it's a theoretical possibility. And I say it that way mm. because um, of experience, <laughs> yeah. and, and my experience, of course, is anecdotal okay. and, and not um, and not exhaustive of everyone's experience. And um, but but as I as I look beyond sort of the anecdotal, um, you know, and, and maybe we get into some of this later. But you you just look at what is mm -hmm. what is that particular paradigm producing, you know, and and what it seems to be producing is is things that are are not family like in nature. Um, by and large across the board. Mm. Um, so I, I would say, you know, there's there's the the possibility that people could have this type of family relationship. But what often happens is uh, the the institutional nature of the church, which is really the container, begins to take over from the relationships. And so, for instance, um, mm. you know, we had some early on, you know, we had some people that we were kind of walking with that we're in community with, and we had we had gatherings with them and right in the middle of the gathering somebody got up and said i've got to go work you know the soundboard somewhere you know and so what happens is there's these competing interests there's there's the 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 interest of i've got to do these things that support the container over here the the institutional expression that come into conflict with being family 
right, in some ways. And so there's, there, in my experience, mm. um, there's a point where um, it's almost like uh, the gravitational pull of, of that other expression is so great that it's just very difficult to live into to this other expression over here. Interesting. So would you say that the majority of institutional expressions are not healthy for community to be done well? I, I think a lot of, of institutional expressions um, create obstacles to that. Um, and there's a number okay. of different reasons for, or there's a number of different perhaps obstacles that we could talk about. But um, if we look at the total package of, of what is offered usually, um, and maybe that's a way, to, an interesting way to think about it is offerings. There's so much offered, um, but the offerings are more um, focused on the consumer basis uh, of, of transaction versus you know, fostering the family, right? So you, you think about the sermon on Sunday morning. Um, a lot of people make decisions about where they go based upon what they get out of the sermons or um, how, how well they connect with uh, the, worship ser- the worship service, the, the music uh, that goes on there, or how good the, the kids' programs are. Um, and a lot of those metrics are around um, consumption. How, what, what, what is offered to me to consume uh, for me and my family? What do I get out of it? And, and oftentimes that me- mentality is fed through some of the way that things operate and it actually draws people away from this sort of self-sacrificing, uh, um, you know, family kind of sense of what we're doing when we get together. Because if I get together with my family and all I'm thinking about is what am I getting out of this, I'm going to be a horrible father, I'm going to be a horrible husband. Um, I need to be thinking about, you know, how can I come into this relationship and bless the people that, that are around me? And it's a very different mindset sometimes, I think. Sure. So on the opposite side of that, then, um, when you think of church and community and, and how you're doing things now, when you think of that being done well and healthy, um, and you've talked about this a little bit already, but what are some really good examples that you've seen, the best examples that you've seen of that being done well so far? Yeah, I think I think it's the, the relational uh, building that takes place um, outside of the structured uh, gatherings. Um, so it's for for me personally, um, I have a group of guys that we're literally, you know, connecting daily, uh, and and it's through texting. Um, you know, it's it's a way to to keep up with people. Um, it's a way to kind of put into practice that you know Hebrews three of you know daily exhorting one another you know it's it's difficult for us in our day and age with the way things are to stay connected and so i i think just just those touch points where um, you can connect with people you know electronically maybe it's through text messaging maybe it's through zoom calls i do a zoom call once a week with a group of guys and we get on and um, do some things together um and we're of course meeting on you know another day of the week for kind of our primary uh, church gathering um and, and there may be times where we, uh, I, I live close enough to one of the families that I can actually just go over to his house and stop by. And so, and those are the kinds mm-hmm. of things that I think are, are really, really important to get down. And again, going back to what I said earlier, once you've established relationships like that, where you have those types of relationships, then the, the, you know, the, the gathering stuff begins to, to take care of itself. And the gatherings then can be, an overflow of that those other those other touch points that you have during the week and um, ideally and I don't know if we're <laughs> going to talk about this but when you get together uh, for let's say a, a Sunday gathering whatever day of the week you get together that can be a time of overflow and I think that's what the Apostle Paul had in mind 
um, when he was talking about uh, the church gathering that he was describing in 1 Corinthians 11 to 14. It was people that were simply getting together. I, I, I see it as three things. Um, they were greeting, they were eating, and they were meeting. All right, so they get together, warm greeting each other, building bonds through that, building bonds through eating together, right? Eating a meal together. There's brain science out today that tells us eating meals together actually bonds people together. And so long before we knew anything about this, um, you know, Jesus and Paul were instructing people to do this. Um, Jesus is the person who is always eating mm -hmm. with people. Uh, there, there's a book out there called Eating Your Way Through the Gospel of Luke. And it, it basically says that Jesus is either eating with people or coming from a meal or going to a meal uh, all throughout the Gospel of Luke. And so when Paul tells people to eat together, and we see Paul doing that and churches doing that, he's simply following what Jesus was doing. So that creates the bonds. And then the meetings. Mm -hmm. If you think about when we gather together, that uh, meeting is described in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, where Paul says, whenever you get together, let each one bring a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let everything be done for edification. And so what Paul is saying is that when we get together, that meeting is not supposed to be something where somebody's coming with the intention of one person or a couple of people um, giving them something to consume, but the mindset is we come together and out of the overflow of the relationship that we have with the Lord during the week, we're just sharing that. Just like we might share a potluck meal together, we come and share a potluck of the Spirit's work in our life at, at that meeting and it just becomes an overflow of, of that, what has been happening during the week. I'm curious, um, you know, for some people, this idea is probably, it could be a little bit jarring or it could be um, even just something that they've never thought of or heard about. Because I think, you know, for a lot of people, you know, if you've been in the church your entire life, you just kind of go to a Sunday morning and, you know, that's how things are done and you don't mm -hmm. really think critically about it. And so I'm curious if we can kind of take a step back for some of those folks and, and talk about, you know, if, if you're hearing these things and you're like, wow, how did I miss this? Or how did, how, how do I learn more about these things? Like, how would you talk somebody through that? Or how would you talk somebody through kind of finding, you know, those people to, to do that, you know, extended family type relationships and kind of start pursuing yeah, that's that? That's a great question. I think my, my initial advice and counsel would be, you know, don't, um, don't do anything sporadic and 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 um, mm. take it slow and really work on the relational component because what what I've seen and what I've read a lot of different you know places is that um, most people are fairly isolated uh, in their in, in our society and it's no different in the church um, most people don't have deep relationships with other people most people don't really even even have um, others where they can do the kind of one anothering that's described in the New Testament. So I think finding two or three other people or just another, yeah. even one other person who you can begin to go deeper with at a, at a deeper level, because Jesus says where two or three are gathered, you know, there I am in their presence. You know, there, there's a sense that there's something special even with two people gathered together. And so, um, you know, finding those, you know, one or two or three other people and beginning to go deeper with them, beginning to be the church in simple ways with those people, regardless of what you're doing on Sunday morning, whether you're going to a worship service or whatever, and begin begin there and see what develops. You know, what does that develop into? And what a lot of times I think it will happen is that people will start to see 
how awesome it is in terms of what they're experiencing over here. And some of this other stuff uh, begins to lose some of its uh, luster uh, because they're actually experiencing real genuine community. Um, and so I, I think there's, you know, if somebody's going to spend, let's say somebody's going to spend two hours on Sunday morning um, going to worship service, driving there and driving home or whatever, why not spend another two hours a week just committing to spend another two hours a week doing something like what we've been talking about, you know, finding those people, committing to, to be family mm. with those people and just really putting that on the calendar for like, let's let's really go deep with these people and see what happens. Yeah, it reminds me of a, a blog post I'd read from Frank Viola, who wrote kind of an entire series of books on this. Not not quite the same, but very similar as far as kind of deconstructing kind of the Sunday morning church gathering. And he, he was kind of he was actually mad when he was writing the blog post very much. So you can tell yeah. uh, that he gets emails from people. They're like, I love this idea of, you know, this, you know, organic thing that's happening like tell me where I can get connected with one in my area. And he's like, if you get connected with it, you will like be upset. You will not enjoy it. Like you really just need to look around and see who are the genuine believers that you're close to and right. close in proximity to and just start doing some of those things. So I, I completely agree with you, Chris. Yeah. I think it makes a ton of sense as far as like yeah. starting well, and to that's, walk that you know, out. Frank Viola. Yeah. He, you know, he's written a lot on this and the, the what you just described is somebody that's, still got the mindset of, of the traditional dominant paradigm of church. I've got to go find the thing that already exists, right? And then I'll plug into that. Yeah. But again, the thinking needs to, I think, start to become um, something a little bit different in terms of who are, the, who are those relationships that I can begin to invest in to, be, to, to become that spiritual extended family with. And then that organic expression is going to be birthed out of that. Um, did you possibly read uh, Francis yes, Chan's absolutely. book, Letters to the Church? I did, and that was, that was very okay. much um, <laughs> part of my journey. Um, and I, I, I oftentimes um, refer to Francis Chan's book as being kind of the gateway drug because it leads people, <laughs> you know, leads people out of something. Yeah. And, and a lot yeah. of times, though, the problem is um, people read a book like that and then they're just like on fire for something else, but they don't really know what to do. And kind of drifting and, and not having any handles around mm -hmm. what, what's the next thing to do. They can't find people around them. Um, and that's, and that yep. was very much a part of my early, you know, experiences as well. So we, I guess, obviously the relational thing is encouraged and obviously a great part of what, um, what we're talking about here. When you encounter people who, who you meet, you want to build a relation relationships with, but they are currently involved in something that would be mm -hmm. considered an institutional expression. Um, do you start to to encourage them uh, not away from that? I mean, like you said, not nothing sporadic. Um, I mean, do you hand them letters to the church? Do you just talk to them and say like, hey, I'd like to talk to you about this other thing that's better? Um, or do you kind of, do you think that someone can be involved in both? Yeah, it, you know, I, I pretty much, you know, rely on the Holy Spirit to convict people of where they should be. You know what I mean? In terms of what, what, what makes sense for them. Mm -hmm. And so sure. I, early on, um, through, you know, some failing forwards, if, if you will, um, you know, decided that, you know, like uh, determined, you know, that it really, it's really not my uh, place or I don't even have the power to do it in terms of, of you know, placing a conviction on someone to do one thing versus another. And so what I tend to do is if I'm finding people and I'm, I run across these people all the time that are kind of dissatisfied 
you know, with their spiritual lives, with their church experience, whatever, then I will have conversations. And mm. um, but but every every person's at a different place. And so what I may, you know, recommend one person to read or to look at would be different than another. You know, it really just depends on where they're at. And um, ultimately, you know, my goal isn't to try to, uh, you know, to get people to do my thing because I, I don't really have a thing uh, in terms of, you know, I'm not trying to get people into another organization or another, you know, um, institution or, or whatever. Um, but just to, to explore with people, to walk with people in, in informal ways to see, you know, what makes sense for them for maybe a next step. Yeah, I, I think an important kind of, thing to say very directly is it's not about right. the thing um like whatever the the expression of church like if you're just i think you you know you said it well chris like if you're just looking for the thing you're still in kind of the the original paradigm of don't really like what i'm doing now so i'm gonna go church shopping yeah. and find the next you know the next version of it or the next kind of movement idea and ultimately if that's the motivation for looking or moving on or something like that it's it's gonna fall flat and it's there's gonna be some things that you're gonna not not be it's not gonna be a good outcome i think is what i'm trying to say and you know ultimately we have to we have to be focused on our relationship with jesus and where he's leading us in those things and then out of that you know what community looks yeah. like in our church and all of those things like that's the important yeah, aspect absolutely. of that um to shift gears a little bit we've talked a lot about kind of you know what what it looks like um this kind of organic simple church micro church whatever language you want to talk about it as or this relational network some of the some of the there's some critiques out there as far as you know these little you know church gatherings or church networks go and I'd, I'd like to just kind of get some of your thoughts on those as far as you know some people would say you know a simple church or a micro church is just taking a you know a gathering on a Sunday morning and shrinking it down and putting it in somebody's living room but it's largely the same thing or you know that it's just some type of glorified small group or bible mm-hmm. study i'm just curious again how you would respond to those and just get some of your thoughts mm-hmm. as far as you know if people are looking and trying to do some of those things like how how they mm-hmm. would navigate no. some of no, those that's, questions that's a great question and you know there's there's a lot of typical kinds of criticisms that you get and that that's one of them and i think i think it's a valid criticism because i think i think there are people that that have that are simply disgruntled with this you know, paradigm over here and they just try to reproduce something else in their living room that looks a lot like it. You know what I mean? And I've, I've even seen, you know, uh, mm-hmm. through the grapevine, you know, people that are, you know, setting up, you know, lecterns in their living room and, you know, and passing a collection plate, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff, you know, it's, it just really is, it is, it is yeah. totally missing the point, you know, and it, again, it gets, it goes to, it goes to starting mm. with the event or the thing that I want to create and then trying to get people from over here into here. And I think that's, and I would agree with the criticisms of all that, that I think that's just, you know, you're just leaving one problematic situation and going into another. So totally would agree with that. Along with the critiques though, what are, what are some of the biggest challenges that you face so far in, this, in the micro church? I think the big challenges are that uh, we are, we are so ingrained uh, in the West with our understanding of what church is. I mean, I think Andrew, you kind of touched on it at the beginning that it's just it's some of the stuff that we're talking about is just so foreign to us. And uh, to imagine church in a way um, that that goes sort of contrary to our own traditional 
background and up, upbringing is very difficult. Um, and, and so a lot of times, you know, even when you, um, you know, may bring people to scriptures that might challenge a, a paradigm that they're holding, um, you know, th- what's ingrained in their mind is their own experience. And they bring that to the text and we read, we read text through our own mm-hmm. experience a lot of times. And, and so one of the things, um, that I try to do is really, uh, give people, if I'm, if I'm trying to, to help people move forward, if I find out where there's, where they're stuck and maybe where they're thinking is stuck on something and, and try to, you know, just gently like provide them some, some way to kind of think through that a little bit more. And, uh, and and help them maybe grasp a little bit of a different perspective on scripture than they had before. And so taking those baby steps and there's probably, you know, if we were to go through it could, you know, go through all these different there's probably, you know, eight or ten different paradigm shifts that people need to make in their thinking in order to go from, you know, point A to point B. But it's taking those little baby steps along the way to to get there. You know, when you think of like the challenges and in my mind that before we had this conversation, I was trying to think through and you know you have those like driving in the car monologues with yourself where you're like, man, if, what, how would I answer these questions? Um, I think one of the biggest ones that I think sometimes could happen is uh, when you're encountering, some, encountering someone who's come from a tr- traditional background, um, you know, like you said, has their own experiences. The biggest question I feel like would come would be why? Um, why why do this differently? Or like why step away? Would Would relationship really be kind of your big, one of your big number one things is like, because relationships can flourish and happen yeah, outside I think, of this. I think that's one of the reasons, um, and it's it's a big reason. I, I think I think um, you know there's there's a number of studies out there that talk about you know the lack of relationships that are that are in our dominant understanding of church today. Um, but the the other aspects of it are um, you know there's there's different studies that are out there that talk about different. You know issues that are are problematic um, within the current you know dominant paradigm. Um, one of them is is that we're simply um, not really getting outside of ourselves in terms of reaching people around us. Um, you know there there's every every generation you go from you know um, you know the, the boomers all the way through you know Gen Z, and every single one of those generations fewer and fewer and fewer people um, are connecting with the, the traditional church paradigm. Um, it's just simply not something that culturally we're used to be kind of at the center of culture. It's now off to the margins. Um, and, um, we're really going to have to think through, um, whether we're going to double down on the way we've been doing things in the past, or we're going to open that up to, um, new ways of thinking to, to reach people and not create, um, artificial barriers to entry, um, that are really based more on, uh, our cultural traditions than they are the Bible, right? So I think that's one of them. Um, the other, the flip side of that, mm-hmm. the people that are in the church, um, Barn has done some studies on this, and um, and this was before COVID, but um, 64% of kids that grow up in the church, youth, 64% of those kids are leaving the church in high school and not coming back. So if you think about you know the shrinking influence that we have in society with the way we're doing things today, and then the people that are already in there that are leaving, um, to me, it's enough of a warning sign to be like, wait a minute, you know, something's not right here and we've got to really think about it, um, a little bit differently. I'd be curious, you know, from kind of a bigger picture idea of 
you know, the church as a whole today. I'm, I'm curious, you know, from your, from your scriptural understanding of the church, what, what elements do you still see missing both kind of in this simple micro church, organic church model, but also in the institutional church um, that we should be working towards or putting yeah, an emphasis I, on? I think the, one of the things is something we already kind of touched on, but it's, it's jumping from um, this model of church to this model of church. And, and, I, I think the whole idea of of the model of church is not necessarily the most helpful way to think about it, um, because you 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 really do start to just um, take your your categories that you had over here and then try to reproduce those categories over here. Um, so I think I think that's going to require a rethink. And again, that's one of those paradigm shifts of of shifting from thinking about events based to relationship based. And, right, and letting the, the events and the, and the gatherings come out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, um, there's reactionary things happening. So the pendulum always kind of swings too far in one direction. So in some respects, you have, um, if you think about the giftings of the body, you have the shepherd teachers who are the pro- predominantly the gatekeepers of the, the dominant paradigm in, in the U.S. in terms of the church. But you have a lot of people, not a lot of people, but there's a there's a there's a segment of that church population that um, recently has discovered through books like, you know, um, Letters to the Church and Francis Chan and David Platt and all this that, hey, you know, evangelism and, and apostle kinds of giftings are alive and well. And I want to start utilizing those. And so they, they break out and they're going, you know, they're going wild on the other side and they're they're leaving carnage in the way, you know, because they're basically just They've, they've gone from the, the problem of the two gifting on this end of the spectrum to the two gifting over here, and it's not balanced. And so what we need to have come together is all the gifts of the body coming together, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers working together to balance this out, right? So we don't have the dominating of, of, of any one of these uh, to, the, to the point of any type of you know, extreme situation. So that would be a few things that come to mind that are things we need to think <laughs> about. To go to go just a little bit further into that, are you familiar with the podcast series, yes. uh, "The Rise really and Fall of Mars Hill"? Of it, but I'm, I'm familiar with it. Yep. Yeah, so I've spent probably too much time uh, in the last few weeks listening to like 19 or 20 episodes or something like that, and oh, man. it's it's super interesting. Not only from like a church perspective, but also from a leadership perspective. That's what actually got me to listen to it. Um, was hearing somebody talk about like if you want to if you want a, a glimpse into mm. like leadership and culture, like listen to that podcast. But one of the things that came out of that to me was, um, so Mars Hill, this mega church in Seattle, Washington, led by Mark Driscoll, um, it had a lot of problems, but one of the things that they really spoke from the platform about was being family. And so when everything fell apart, you know, years ago at this point, there were, there's people and they interviewed him in the podcast that would say like, if you ever hear somebody mm. talking about mm. being family run, mm. like that is not the place to be. I'm curious if you can just kind of speak to that from again, that kind of that broader church perspective, as far mm-hmm. as like, you know, that's kind of what we're talking about here is being that extended family, being in relationship with one mm-hmm. another, like 
yeah, just just talk through a little bit of like, you know, kind of some of the hurts that are out there when it's related to church. But then also, like, how do we step back into some of that and really embrace like scripture is calling us to be a family. So how do we reengage those ideas from a healthy perspective um, and not end up in this position where, you know, that's a great question. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I I think I think one of the challenges is. you know, you know that, that this reflects is having to redefine terms um, that have been used in one way over here, and then you know their Bible terms even, and then and then trying to rehabilitate their usage over mm-hmm. here. Um, and I think you know you run into this in all sorts of contexts. I mean, you have you have cults out there that are using Bible terms in certain ways, and you have to kind of you know rehabilitate them from there. Um, I think, yeah, there's, there's a ton of hurt that's out there. There's people that have, um, suffered abuse and trauma, um, at the hands of people who claim to be family, you know? Um, and that's, that's, unfortunately that happens, that happens in biological families uh, far too, far too frequently. Um, and, but I think, but I think, you know, kind of, if we look at it from a biblical perspective, I mean, Jesus, Jesus knew about all of the, the bad ways that family, um, probably terms had been used in his day, you know, and, and there probably were abuses that were, that were in the family. In fact, mm-hmm. um, the, the family, uh, understanding in the first century was that the, the father of the family had ultimate control over every area and aspect of, of every person's life in the, the household, even the slaves. And it was a live or die situation. <laughs> um, and so it was much different than what we would experience today. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the head of the household in the first century was almost like, you know, he was like the dictator. You know, he could do anything he wanted to. And yet, um, what we see in the New Testament is that Jesus still uses the family metaphors. Um, he rehabilitates them. And, and ultimately, we point people to God to say, look, your heavenly father is the model. It's not maybe that, that bad experience you had with your father or the pastor or whatever, the, the board that you were dealing with. And then try to, mm-hmm. try to bring them back uh, in, into the healthy area, you know, using the model of, of Christ and, and the father as well. Um, so I think we can rehabilitate those, those terms, but at the same time, I think the best way we can rehabilitate those terms is to start living into them ourselves, you know, and I, and I gave the example of, you know, the, the middle of the night phone call, right? And what do you do when you get that middle of the night phone call, right? Well, if the mindset is, you know, I'm not getting paid for this, you know, or like I'm not on call tonight, that doesn't feel like family, but if you do show up, yep. what's that going to mean for that person that you show up for? You know what I mean? So you're you're demonstrating that you are family, not just saying mm-hmm. that you're family, right? And I would say it means a lot more when you're doing yeah. life together than it does when that's said from a platform, you know, or said in a different context. So if you encounter somebody who's got questions, um, or if someone listens to this podcast and they really want to know more, they want to start discovering more about these thoughts and these concepts um, outside of the, you know, the institutional elements. Um, what are some of the places that you'd point them to outside of just trying to build relationships with others? But what are maybe some yeah, books or so podcasts or other things Frank that you point Viola people to? Already, and he's got a, like a, a series of books, which I think are, are good. Um, Pagan Christianity uh, is the first one in that series um, that is, is, I'll just, you know, I'll warn you, like, if you read that book, you may never see things the same way again, and you may cause much distress in your life. Uh, but but it is eye-opening in terms of just um, tracing some of the the way we do things today, um, not having biblical basis, but being more culturally driven from, like, third century on. 
Um, so that I would say, you know, Frank Viola's got that whole series, and he makes his way through like organic church and some of that other stuff, which is helpful. Um, there's a if you want like more of like a academic New Testament type of book, um, there's a guy named Robert Banks who's written a book called Paul's Idea of Community, and um, he gets into a lot of these ideas. Um, there's a book called When Church Was a Family. It's another one, and I can't remember the name of the author right now. But if you guys have show notes or something, maybe we could put it in there. Um, there's a uh, sure. there's a book. Yeah. Uh, so if you want a book that really kind of gets into okay, what about uh, these movements? What's the pros and cons? What's happening around the world? Um, there's actually a chapter in this book about um, some responding to some objections to it. Um, it's called Motus Dei, and that's um, uh, M O T U S. DEI. It's called Modus Dei, the movement of God to disciple the nations. So that would that would be a good one. Um, so those those would be a few things that come to my mind uh, initially. Um, I also have a website. It's uh, disciplemaking.church, and um, I've got uh, some things on there. I have a blog where I've actually um, the last couple years I've been blogging. And my blog, really the purpose of the blog is to address questions like what we're talking about right now. Like, you know, who led the early church? What is preaching? What is worship? Mm -hmm. You know, what is, what is it, what did it look like to have a church gathering in the first century? All those types of questions, I get into that on my blog. So that might be a good place to start as well. That's great. Chris, we appreciate you taking the time to just chat with us and help us think a little bit differently about how we engage our faith and you know, what that looks like as far as who we gather with and where we gather. Absolutely. And, Thanks, guys, yeah, for I just appreciate me. you taking the time. Thanks for allowing us to be a part of your stewardship journey. Share your journey with us by connecting with us on Facebook or by emailing us at thestewardshippodcast at gmail.com. If this is your first time joining us, we'd love for you to check out our previous conversations. Be sure to tune in next week for another Stewardship Conversation.